Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. We're going to finish that chapter today. And uh, <clears throat> I don't even need notes today to yell at husbands. I just, you know, came prepared and just going to unload. And no, lest I do that, I do actually have notes. So, <laughs> um, you know, we uh, looked last week at a, a subject that can be sensitive and uh, can easily be misrepresented, misunderstood, or just not liked. And so um, we, we did our best to, to wade through that and to, to walk through that as best we can, understanding what God meant to tell us in that passage, what, what Paul was intending to communicate. And uh, I know it certainly led to some lively discussion in our Connect group this week and uh, probably on the drive home for many of you, I don't know. But um, it's, a, it's a fascinating topic, and uh, I wanted to address just a couple of issues that, that we kind of breezed by last week, and I wanted just to hit them uh, as, we, as we cruise into our passage today. I wanted to, to hit on a couple of topics. Uh, first of all, I, I need to emphasize that the, the roles that God has given us as husbands and as wives are beautiful, and they're mutually fulfilling, meaning when I am exercising my role properly, it is very fulfilling to me. And when my wife is exercising her role properly, it's very fulfilling to her and mutually with both of us. It's a beautiful thing that God has done. And not only that, it's very God glorifying when we uh, treat each other that way, when we, when we understand and we live according to what we're learning here in this, this passage. God's design has great power and it has great effectiveness both in creating a stable and an influential home environment as well as in communicating some of the deepest truths of the gospel and we'll get into that uh, in more detail today but that that is something that is inherent in these roles when we talk about them and God's design is very beautiful and very specific and uh, secondly and this is related to the to the first one we read in first Peter chapter 3 very briefly last week we read there uh, and Peter talking about wives submitting to husbands even in less than ideal circumstances. And Peter's dealing there in chapter 3 particularly with situations where the husband is not even a believer. And so how can a believing wife submit to a believing husband? And what does that look like? And, uh, and that's, a, that's a, 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 an important thing for us to think about. And here's what I want to draw our attention to as we, uh, as we think about that again this week. How does Peter finish that passage? Do you remember? It's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6, and this is how he finishes it. Speaking again to the wives, believing wives who are submitting to husbands who are unbelievers, and he says, do not fear anything that is frightening. And I find that very encouraging for a woman in that situation, that, that Peter, by the Holy Spirit, would understand the difficult and sensitive and vulnerable position that this woman finds herself in, and that he would encourage her not to be afraid not to be afraid in that situation as paul would say it elsewhere god's grace is sufficient for you even in that situation and so that's the encouragement from scripture uh, and some sometimes uh, a wife will find herself in that difficult role but uh, god is there and his grace is sufficient for you to meet you in that less than ideal situation and so i want to encourage you with that D don't fear don't fear. And as we continue looking at God's design for marriage today, uh, it's, I want us to see the beauty and the, 
the genius of God putting it together this way. And so uh, in order to pursue that better, let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Lord, we uh, come to you now and, and we approach your word and we desire to learn from, uh, from Ephesians chapter 5 uh, what it means to be uh, a Christian husband, what it means to be a husband, what it means to, uh, to live out this role the way you would have us. And really, as we look into it, what it means to understand the gospel and how the gospel is wrapped up inextricably uh, from, uh, in, in the, the marriage relationship. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us with that. Help me to communicate that uh, as best as possible. Help us to, to be all here in our thinking, that we would be engaged in the conversation, that uh, we would not be distracted by things from the outside, thoughts from, uh, from the week of things we didn't get done or, or shouldn't have done or the things upcoming and, and any of that stuff. Lord, help us not to be distracted. Help us to be all here and engaged with you. Lord, I pray that you, by your spirit, would work in our midst, that, uh, that we would understand your word, that we would be convicted by your spirit, that we would be motivated to walk in obedience, that we would be uh, motivated to understand and contemplate more deeply what we learn uh, from our passage today. So we, we give you this time. This is uh, your word. These are your people. And, uh, and this is your time. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would minister to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so anytime there's a discussion of, like we talked about last week, wives submitting to their husbands, it immediately leads to us thinking about, okay, so if the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, what kind of head should he be? And uh, how is he to behave? And, 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 uh, and that makes for, it's almost an immediate next comment when we look at a passage like last week, right? When we talked about submission, immediately the first thought is, well, what kind of guy are you submitting to? What, what kind of man, what kind of head is the husband supposed to be? And apparently Paul thinks the same thing because he's, uh, he's just been talking about the fact that, uh, that the husband is the head of the wife, verse 23, as Christ is the head of the church. And now he's going to move in our passage to talk about, therefore, husband, what kind of head ought you to be or how should you exercise that headship and the the, the overwhelming uh, recurring theme in our passage here is that he is to exercise that headship in love exercise that headship in love and so let's look to our passage we're going to read today in chapter 5 and uh, verse 25 and we're going to finish the chapter husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So first of all, we see that he is to love her like Jesus did, point one, to love her like Jesus did. First of all, Christ loved the church. If you think back through Ephesians, and I know for many of you that's several months, and, and, uh, but if you think back about 
God's love and Christ's love for the church, you'll see an amazing thing, an amazing pattern that is consistent throughout the book of Ephesians. And first of all, in chapter one and verse five, he says that in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. That was in love. He acted in love. He loved the church. And so that's what he did. And, and uh, then you get into chapter two and it talks about the fact that we were dead and we were at enmity with God because of our sin and all that. And, and then we get to verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. So he did that out of love. He loved us. And then you get into chapter three and look at verses 17 through 19. He says, furthermore, he wants us to be rooted, wants us to be rooted and grounded in love and to have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so again and again, Christ has loved the church from the first thought all the way through to the execution of it and to the end. And now he wants us to know more and more and more of what the love of Christ is for us. And so he loved the church and he, furthermore, not only did he love the church, how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. Verse 25. This is a, this is a, a, a powerful part of the gospel. This is an important key. We know we know God's love for us most pointedly, most specifically in the cross of Jesus. We know his love. Now, notice the nature of the relationship between Christ and the church. It's one of Jesus giving himself. It's an it's Jesus giving himself. Of course, we know that I haven't said anything new, but here's what I want us to think about at this point, because we're talking about husbands relating to wives. And so we've been talking about Christ relating to the church. And if the very nature, the baseline of the relationship between Christ and the church is Jesus giving of himself for us, it ought to be the same for us husbands giving ourselves for our wives. And this is this is the opposite uh, or this is different in distinction from two different extremes that we will find in our culture, that we will find really anywhere you have husbands and wives in our world. And the first of all is this idea of the husband who is, he's not giving himself for his wife. He's instead oppressive. He's the one dominating his wife. He's the one who, who says it and it's going to be done. Right? He, he's, he's a taker. He's taking from his wife in that way. And so Paul knows that, and that's why he writes this. And so you, you have these, these oppressor types, and, and this is where you have a, a man dominating the relationship, dominating his wife, and his wife doesn't get to have an opinion. She doesn't get to, doesn't get to have a say. She, she's, she's a second class. That's that kind of relationship. But on the other hand, so that's the oppressive. On the other hand, though, you have a different kind of taker, and that's the passive husband. He, he's going to take from his wife whatever she will give him. Whatever leadership she will provide, he'll take it. Whatever course in life she sets, because he's passive. He's, he's really just thinking about himself and what he's willing or not willing to give. He's a taker. And neither one of those is proper. The oppressor has gone overboard this way. He's domineering. And then you have the passive guy sitting around, letting his wife do everything, make all the decisions, and, and he's just on the couch. Or he's just on the computer. Or he's just 
at work. He's just gone. He's not actively involved in the relationship. He also is a taker. And Jesus is in contradistinction to that, that he's the one who's giving. He's providing leadership. He's providing tenderness. We're going to look at all of those things. But he is giving himself for her sake. Both of them are takers in one way or another. And Jesus is neither. He gives himself for the good of his bride. He gives herself for her benefit. Let's keep reading in our passage here. He gave himself up for her at the end of 25, 26. Why? For what purpose? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He works for her benefit. He's giving of himself for her benefit. He sanctifies her. He changes her, her sinful behavior. He cleanses her. He washes off the stains of her sins. He initiates and he consummates the relationship with her. He's the one who started it. He's the one who completes it. He's the one who does it. And it's for her good. And in the end, what happens with her? He perfects her in the end when she will be spotless and without blemish. Now, if this is a, he's, he's referring here to a beautiful picture in the Old Testament, write down Ezekiel 16. You want to read a beautiful picture of God's love for his people and his going out of his way to give himself for the good of his people, for the redemption of his people. Read Ezekiel chapter 16. It's a giant parable of God and his people. And it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And how does he picture it? Even there in Ezekiel 16, he pictures it as a husband and wife relationship. It's beautiful. So look at that. And you'll get some of the imagery here, the washing and, and some of that stuff. That, that imagery comes from Ezekiel chapter 16. But, but what do we learn here? Or what's, uh, what does this mean for us? Well, this is how Jesus loved the church. With a self-giving and a sacrificial love. Where he gave himself up for her. For her incredible benefit. Likewise, this is the example husbands are to follow in exercising loving headship in the marriage relationship. So, husbands, love your wives. It's to be self-giving and sacrificial where you give yourself for her benefit. It's a self-giving and a self-sacrificial relationship where you are giving yourself for her benefit. That's what Jesus did with the church. So he gave of himself. And so rather than being this oppressor who is domineering and taking everything for himself, and rather than being the passive guy who's just letting the wife give whatever she's willing to give and then, and then really not giving any, anything in return, rather than that, as opposed to that, husbands are acting sacrificially for the good of their wives. Now think about your own home. Now, by the way, I, 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 should, I should say this, and I should have said it last week too, right? When, when I'm talking to one group or the other, it is so tempting, I know, to be, you know, hey, are you listening, right? Are you taking notes? You, you forgot something, right? You need to write that down and probably put that into practice this afternoon, right? Um, as, uh, as Matt Chandler once said, you, you're, you don't make a good Holy Spirit, okay? Let the Holy Spirit nudge your husband's ribs, <laughs> okay? He does it really well. <laughs> All right, so... But think about this. Think about your own home and think about how your home would change if 
this is the way the husband related to the wife. That he was that he was thinking, actively, consciously, purposely thinking about what is good for his wife. And that's what he's doing. Regardless of cost to himself. How would that change the home? That would change, that would change my home, I'll be honest. It, it changes things. Right? And that's the pattern he has for us. Secondly, he is, he, uh, the husband is to love his wife. He's to love her like himself love her like himself look at verse 28 in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body i think this is very interesting because i used to think if paul knew what he was talking about because happy wife happy life right I thought that's what was going on here. I thought, you know what? It, it only makes sense. It only benefits me to love my wife and keep her happy. And right. Well, I, there's a lot, a lot of truth in that. But what he's talking about here is he's talking about what's the second greatest commandment. Remember, uh, someone approached Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered. Of course, he got it right. He said, it's to, it's to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. And Jesus offered up the second one is like it. And then he quoted from Leviticus. Whoever thought of quoting of Leviticus when you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, greatest commandments, but Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, and this is what it says, or you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, think about the husband and wife relationship. Husband, who is your nearest neighbor? It's your wife. It's your wife. And so where is the best opportunity for us to exercise this kind of love toward our neighbor? Of course, it's with our wife. And that, that's what he is intending to convey here, to love her like we love ourselves. As Jesus uh, quoted from Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love your wife as your own body? What does that mean? Well, you respond to the needs of your body, right? Without debate, really without even thinking about it. I'm thirsty. I get a glass of water. You don't deliberate right? You don't ponder, you don't argue about it. You just do it. So respond to your wife's needs that way. My wife has this need. Oh, I met it already met it. Didn't even think about it. Right? That's, that's the way we can, one way we can love our wives as ourselves to respond to her needs in that same immediate kind of way. Secondly, you protect your body from harm immediately and forcefully. Imagine you walk by a hot stove and you bump your elbow against it. You don't stand there for a while thinking, you know, this is hot. I know it doesn't feel good and really it smells a lot now and then I'll have to clean it up later and stuff. Maybe I should know, right? As soon as you do it, boom, you're off of there. You jump off. You, you respond immediately and forcefully, right? And, uh, and that's how you protect your body. That's how you protect your own body. It's the way God's made us. So respond to your wife that way. Protect your wife in the same, with the same immediacy and with the same force. Of course, physically, you're going to protect her in that way. But how often do we do that emotionally, husbands? How often do we protect her in that way emotionally? Respond to her immediate needs and get it taken care of. Or spiritually. How often do we protect our wives and our families spiritually. Think about what you invite in the home when you turn on the TV, when you fire up the internet, right? The conversations you have. Think about those things. Think about the things that you bring in the home and talk about, right? 
And how often are those things actually spiritually dangerous to the climate of the home, spiritually dangerous to our wives? We need to be protecting our wives like we do our own bodies. Also, with our own body, we plan out and we forecast uh, what, what, what our body's needs will be into the future, right? You go and buy groceries before dinner time, right? You don't sit down to the dinner table and think, oh, man, that's what I forgot. I should have food here, right? And then you, you go and buy food and you cook it. No, you know you got to eat, right? Even when you're full and you go shopping, you know you're buying food for the time when you're going to be hungry, right? So you forecast, you plan ahead. And it's the same thing with our wives, Think about what her needs will be, what they might be. My wife will eventually need this thing, right? Maybe not too long from now, maybe a year from now, right? But I can think about those things and be intentional. So I'm the world's worst celebrator, all right? I'm the world's worst celebrator. I need to plan ahead and think about what can I celebrate for my wife? How can I help her? How can I provide for her needs? We have a significant anniversary coming up. We'll be married 20 years this summer. I should probably celebrate that, right? Yeah. She has a birthday coming up that's some different number than that. And uh, should probably celebrate that one too. Uh, that's, a, that's a big thing. But just, just think about this, how we take care of ourselves, how we take care of our own bodies. And he says, love your wife that way. Love your wife that way as your nearest neighbor and secondly by nourishing and by cherishing look how he does there he says for no one verse 29 no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church nourish and cherish the imagery here is of a nursing mother right that is extremely intimate it's extremely personal and it's exactly what that baby needs i'm amazed you guys have seen eva claire and I'm amazed by her size. She, she's apparently getting exactly what she needs, right? And mom provided all of it, right? And, and that's that nourishing and that cherishing. And that's the kind of relationship that, that goes on here. He says, no one ever hated his own body. No one ever hated his own flesh. But he nourishes you. You give your body what it needs, right? I'm sleepy, so I'll, I'll go to sleep. Or I need to eat, so I'll eat. Now there are extenuating circumstances, right? Sometimes you're in church and you're sleepy, but you don't sleep, Right? That's the, the, the plan anyway. <laughs> nourishing it and cherishing it like you do your own body. Now, an, an example of this is um, I've gotten into nutrition in the last couple of years. And I found that in doing so, in learning what my body needed, at first I had to instruct my body, you will not eat that thing, you will eat this thing, right? And that was, that's, that's a learning curve, okay? For a lot of us who like Oreos, that's a learning curve. And... And I have, but I got to the point and I have gotten to the point now where I can, I can feel what my body needs. I really need to stay away from this and I need to have some of that. Right. And, and I, I've gotten sensitive to what my body needs. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of relationship we're to have with our wives where we, I, I know what she needs. She didn't even have to tell me because I, because I knew what it was or I forecasted it or it's, it's that kind of nourishing and cherishing and, and intimate and personal the two of us kind of relationship, nourishing and cherishing. And that's how Jesus loves the church. I love that, it, that, it's, uh, that it's the present tense. It's how he loves the church, right? No one ever hated his own flesh, verse 29, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. He gave himself, past tense, grammar, 
gave himself and he nourishes and he cherishes currently. That's what he's doing. He loves the church. This is the kind of personal and intimate care that Jesus gives to the church. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And that's what he gives. He takes great pains to give us what we need and at great personal expense to himself. So husbands, stop thinking about yourself. I need to stop thinking about myself and think about her. I need to think about her needs. You need to think about your wife's needs. This is a challenge because I'm probably not the only self-centered person in the room. I am one, badly, but I'm probably not the only one. And so it needs to be intentional for us to be thinking about the good of our wife. Stop thinking about ourselves only. Start treating your wife with the kind of love and care and concern that you show your own body. I could harp on this for a long time. I could, you know, if, if you think back of your schedule of this last week, how you spent your hours this last week, how, how was it? How many were on satisfying your own self, your own desires, your own wishes, having your own fun, doing your own thing? And how many hours were spent satisfying her needs, taking care of her, nourishing and cherishing her? Just think about this week. And no one knows what your week was like except you and your wife probably. And she won't nudge you in the ribs because I asked her not to. But think, think about this week. How do we spend our time? How do I spend my time? I need to direct a great deal more of it to my wife. There's an important parallel passage to this one. It's Colossians 3.19, and, and I'd have you turn to it, but I can read it faster than we turn there. Husbands, love your wives. Sounds familiar. And do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Your wife is in a vulnerable position. God has told her to submit to you. All right? That's, uh, you know, a little entertaining or a little frightening. Right. If you think about yourself and my wife is supposed to submit to me, I'm a knucklehead. <laughs> you know, she, she's in an un, unenviable position. And uh, and yet that is what God has instructed her to do. And so he tells us Colossians 319. Paul tells us, do not be harsh with her. She's in a vulnerable position. Don't be harsh. Don't be rough. Don't be domineering. How often is that position abused by husbands? Don't treat her as if she's inferior in, in some way or in any way. That's not the way Jesus loves the church. And that's not the way we're to love our wives. Thirdly, love's portrait. This is where it gets very interesting. Paul can't spend too much time outside of theology. He really digs back in again here in, in verse 31, 32, and 33. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That commandment there, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's not a commandment, but it's a statement. And it's from Genesis chapter 2, which is before Genesis chapter 3, Right? That's only important because sin enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3. If this instruction were to be given after the fact, 
in response to sin entering the world, then it almost seems like God is, you know, he's playing catch up or this is plan B. I had a good plan and then you blew it with the whole sin thing. So now here's a, you know, I've kind of patched together a secondary plan and it's just the best we can do. He doesn't do that, right? He's talking about an instruction that he gave from before sin entered the picture. This is not plan B. This is plan A. This is the plan. Now, for most of us, that doesn't really matter. But if you start thinking about how often we hear that uh, that whole submission thing and husbands, that's just a cultural thing. And it was, you know, if it's for back then and it's not for now. This instruction in Genesis 2 was given before there was culture. Was given before there was any sin that entered into the picture to mix things up. Before there were any problems, this was given. When everything was perfect, this was given. This is the perfect way for it to function. And so, it's, uh, I'm calling it the creation ordinance. And what's fascinating about that, also, is that what does he say it refers to? He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm telling you that it's about Christ and the church. It's about Christ and the church. He was already picturing in relationship, picturing the gospel in Genesis chapter 2. He was already starting to picture the way salvation was going to come to us. He's picturing the gospel uh, all the way back at the time of creation. And it pictures, uh, he says, it pictures Christ and the church. Now, it's, it's important for us to, to remember here kind of the way he does this. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why do I say that's interesting or that's fascinating? Because he didn't say, I wonder, I wonder how I could picture marriage. What's the best way I could explain marriage? Well, it's kind of like Jesus in the church, I guess. And that, no, he's thinking, how do I picture and explain the gospel? How do I show to you the gospel? This is God thinking this. How do I, how do I make a parable of the gospel at every that every family in the world will ever see. I know what I'll do. I will create a husband and a wife and they will relate in a certain way and that'll be my parable, my picture of the gospel. That kind of turns things on its head, right? That, that changes some things around. It's, it's fascinating. If you think about it, think about this passage here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, we've always thought of that. I always think of that. And it does apply to our marriage relationships. But think about it in big terms, in God-sized terms, when he says this refers to Christ in the church. Here you have Jesus. You have the Son of God in his eternal home, right? He's with the Father. He's in heaven. And he's been there forever, right? That is his home. Man is created. He creates man. Man falls into sin. Now all of a sudden there's a, there's a, there's a, a divide, a cut, a distance between God and man. And we're each born into that, right? We're each born sinful and so therefore separated from God. And so here we are separated from God by our sin. Jesus leaves his eternal home, father and mother, the terms he uses there, it's a, it's a picture. He leaves his eternal home and he comes as one of us, as a man, and he's born as a man. He dies on our behalf, taking our sin on himself taking the punishment for us right taking all of all of that from us taking it upon himself 
And then he dies and he in turn gives us his righteousness, gives us his record of obedience to the father so that we are forgiven of our sins and we have right standing before God. You see how that plays out in this verse from Genesis chapter two. It was there become one flesh. They became one flesh so much so that we could now be considered in the new Testament to be Jesus body. We are the church, the body of Christ. And that's the picture and it's right in there. And that's what Paul's saying. Every marriage ever anywhere has pictured this has pictured the gospel. It's powerful. There is a great, great deal of power here. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Imagine how differently you would think about waking up on a Monday morning and treating your spouse. If you understood that your marriage is a picture of the gospel to your kids, to your unbelieving family, to your coworkers, people around you, your dearest friends, your marriage is a picture to them of the gospel. That changes the way you think about marriage. That changes the value we put on marriage. That changes things a little bit. That adds a little bit of gravity, right? Because we are a picture. It does not say that we are a good picture, right? If I'm a jerk to my wife and I'm harsh to her or I'm oppressive or I'm passive, I'm a terrible, unflattering picture of the gospel, but I am a picture of the gospel nonetheless. And people are looking at that picture and they're getting a skewed view of the gospel, how Christ relates to the church and how the church relates to Christ. So think about that in your own marriage. Think about that in the way you treat your wife. Think about that in the way you treat your husband, the way you think about how, how seriously you take your marriage. You are picturing the gospel to people around you. That's powerful. That's sobering is a good word for that. And that's what Paul is saying here. You've, you've read, you've read that. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I am telling you, this is talking about Christ and the church. You picture the gospel in your marriage. And so it's important how we live it. It's important how we live our marriage, how we treat our spouses, how we relate to one another. As the authority, as the one who's in submission, are we a, a, a loving head or are we a jerk, right? We picture that. Are we in submission? Are we in rebellion? We're picturing the gospel. And so he concludes again, since this is so important for us to remember, and this is something we need to be thinking about, be very conscious about. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is how we should treat each other. He sums it up. He draws it all in nicely so that if you're having trouble remembering my three-point outline with all the subpoints and different verses and stuff, remember this verse. There's so much more, so don't forget the rest of it. But if you can only remember, remember this one. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Your marriage tells your kid about your kids about Christ in the church. The way you treat your wife tells your unbelieving friends how Jesus loves the church. The way you submit to your husband shows everyone near you how the church relates to Christ. There's a responsibility here. 
Marriage is a, if you think about it in our culture, I, I don't know the current divorce rate. I'm not, it, it's crazy. It's sickening to look at, right? But in, in our culture, how do we think about marriage? We think about it very quickly, right? Either, either we just never want to enter into it. So we just move in and live together, pretend to be married and have a marriage. Just don't have a, a marriage certificate. That's one way we do it. That ends in disaster an amazing number of times. And yet it's, it's the, it's the norm for our culture. So either we do it that way or we just fly and get married right away. Let's just get married to say we got married, right? And that very often ends in disaster the same way. In contrast to that, if you think about Jesus teaching on, on marriage, Jesus was talking to his disciples. They were talking about marriage. And at the end of Jesus instruction, what does disciples do? Do they say, that's great. I think I'll go get married next weekend. No, they said, Jesus, if that is true about a husband and wife, it's better not to get married. And did Jesus say, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. You totally got me wrong. He did not correct them. They said, Jesus, if that's true, it's better not to get married. And Jesus said, you're right, but not everyone can handle it. Some people are called to it. That's a different perspective on marriage. And that's similar to Paul's perspective on marriage. It is that significant. It is that serious. We need to think about that before we enter into marriage. If we have entered into marriage, we need to think about it all the more. We need to be on board. We need to be understanding what exactly we're picturing in our marriage. We're picturing the gospel. So Paul summarizes here at the end of the paragraph what the relationship is to be like. He says, husband, love your wife as yourself. And wife, see too that you respect your husband. When we treat one another that way in our marriage, what we find is great joy and peace knowing that we are functioning and relating the way God has designed us to function and relate. We also, so that's an obvious benefit, right? Peace, knowing we're functioning the way God intended us to function. But we also create a very stable and nurturing and healthy home environment. It's protected against all kinds of outside harms in all kinds of ways. We're providing a safe home environment when we treat each other this way, when we understand God's design for our marriage and when we behave accordingly. More to the point, though, because that's an obvious benefit as well. The stability that it brings to family, the stability it brings to kids. I mean, you could look at the, the psychological impact in the future that your kids have from the way you treat your wife now, the way you treat your husband now. Your kids are learning who they are, and they're learning what it means to relate to the opposite sex. They're learning all of these things that they're going to go into the future and they're going to live those things out. So if you think about what kind of husband or what kind of wife you are and the way you treat your spouse, spouse, does that make you a little concerned for the future? We need to think about that. We're, we're training our children in the way they should go. More to the point, though, so that's an obvious benefit, but more to the point. When we treat one another with this kind of love and respect, we show our kids and our friends and the world a helpful and good and winsome picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Winsome, I like that word. We don't use that very much. But it means alluring, attractive. 
That's the kind of picture we show. We show the picture about Jesus that he was willing to leave his perfect eternal home and come and, and be joined to the church, his body, in a way that is self-giving, in a way that is for our benefit, very obviously, as we get to experience forgiveness for our sins in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us in place of that separation because of sin that we were all born into. So I, I want to finish with that. This is, this is really a passage about, about husbands and two husbands, but he brings it around to the gospel so clearly. That's really what I want to finish on, is that God's love for us is incredible. Not, not in that he will just say, you know what, I know you've sinned, but don't worry about it. We'll just wipe it clean and you'll be good to go. It's not that way, right? God is a just judge, And where the law is broken, the penalty must be paid. And so, either we get to pay our own penalty for our own sin, or we can accept the penalty that Jesus paid for our sin. That he would put himself in the way of God's wrath so that I could be forgiven. So that I could be restored into a relationship with him. That I could be made into a right relationship with God where I don't have that distance, that enmity anymore where I can be considered a member of the body of Christ, united with him, one flesh. And that's the offer to us. That's the offer to each of us. So I want you to think about that. I want you to, to pray about that. If, if, uh, if that's not something, if, if you, if you kind of think you're, you're on the outside looking at that picture and thinking, well, maybe it makes a little bit of sense or maybe it doesn't make sense. I don't know. But I want you to, I want you to think about it and understand where you are in this picture. That if you're on the part that is still separated from Christ, separated from God, because of your sin, you will pay your own penalty. And it will take eternity in hell to do so. Eternity is a long time, and hell is awful. And that's where you find yourself. But he makes the offer. He makes the offer that we could accept the payment that he made for our sin that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. And so if you're here and, and you're on the outside of that, I pray that you would come on the inside. I pray that you would see yourself where you are in that picture and that you would put your faith in Christ, that you could be united with him, that you could be submitted to him just like the church is to Christ, that you could receive the kind of benefits that he offers us in himself. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the gospel because I deserve your wrath i have always deserved your wrath Um, and yet you give me love you give me forgiveness in christ lord I, i i thank you for the goodness of this teaching for the goodness of the gospel for your goodness in not leaving me to my own to pay my own penalty and spend my own eternity in hell i thank you that you didn't do that Lord, I thank you also that you have given us such clear instruction about how husbands and wives are to relate to one another, that we can see from Scripture your design, we can see the goodness, the beauty of your design, and we can know that to behave accordingly, to live our lives in submission to your design is for our good, and it's fulfilling for us, and it's for the good of those around us, and it's an accurate and a, a, a good picture of the good gospel. Lord, I pray that you would help us husbands. We need your help. I pray as we go out, as we go into our week, as we go into uh, the rest of this day even, that we would think about our wives and how we can selflessly 
give of ourselves in such a way to, uh, to nourish and cherish our wives that we would work intentionally and even self-sacrificially for her benefit, for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.